I think when it comes to the compassion fatigue, one remedy in some sense is just to accept our limitation. You know, we can mm -hmm. only take in so much. We can only do so much because, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm five days behind mm -hmm. on whatever happened. And then you feel like, oh, I totally missed it, you know, whatever. But mm -hmm. I, th I think to say, am I in the moment doing the good I can in the world I'm in, hmm. you know, when I see it, whether it's like at the grocery store and you see a lady who's in a wheelchair or having a hard time getting up and you just stop to help her. You know, I think that's sometimes what we miss yeah. kind of like what you were saying, Jasmine and to in my real world, am I doing what I can to love my neighbor and, and be aware of what's going on, you know, around me, right. but also rest in the fact that a better country's coming. Welcome to the final episode of Let's Talk Season 3. I am Jackie Hill Perry, Jasmine and Melissa, and I have enjoyed talking about applying biblical wisdom to everyday life. And we hope you've enjoyed listening in. I believe that you did or will. I don't know. The great thing about a podcast is that the episodes don't go away. They don't disappear. They will never leave you nor forsake you. So if there are any that you might have missed, you can go back and find them at tgc.org forward slash pod. Cast. Today we're going to answer some questions that have been sent by listeners and y'all are nosy. They sent in a lot. Y'all are, y'all be wanting to know a lot of information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They think we know everything. They asked everything except <laughs> wow. the brand of deodorant we I use. Know. I know. It was a long list. So Melissa, what's our first question for the day? Okay. <clears throat> Ooh, this is an interesting one. What's your number one tip for improving communication in marriage? Improving nudity. <laughs> oh, what? That's our next question. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, maybe, that, maybe that's your answer for everything. Is, my answer is nudity. How do you overcome shame? Nudity. nudity. <laughs> How do you... <laughs> I don't know. I, I think first you have to get over the hump of what's keeping you from mm -hmm. communicating, whether that's fear, whether that's shame, whether that's pride. You know, all the things, but you just kind of have to get over yourself uh, and be willing to talk about the hard things and the good things. Yeah. You know, you just got to talk, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I remember there was a season in our marriage where it was just a rough time and we were probably married for six months. And so, you know, that's when everything hits the fan, usually. And we didn't have enough money for cable. And so our cable was cut off. I might have told this story before, but follow me. And in that time, because we didn't have TV, we were forced to talk. But it was crazy because it actually helped our marriage, not because we were talking about the hard things all the time, but we just became friends again, mm -hmm. you know? And so just oh, turning good. off TVs and things and just talking. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I think, too, it needs, there's a difference between proactive talk and proactive speech and reactive. Explain. And I think in marriage, you can get into reactive, like mm -hmm. I'm reacting to the fact that I've been secretly mad at you for the past six months because you keep, you know, leaving your socks wherever, you know, and so I, I am now going to pour out all of that mm -hmm. from this past six months on you because I didn't proactively tell you mm -hmm. earlier on, hey, it's really bothering me that you're leaving your socks there. And so I think that's the type of communication the reactive kind that's only it's not healthy you know and i can fall into that very easily so mm -hmm. i try to be more proactive rather than stuffing and stuffing and stuffing and then reacting yeah, yeah. suppressing is totally a thing yeah mm -hmm. 
I think also knowing your spouse, getting to know your spouse, finding the understandable part of your spouse. Mm. Um, I know not everybody is into the Enneagram, but learning when my husband and I first started reading my Enneagram and he was like, I really identify with being an Enneagram eight. Now, whatever you think about that, knowing the fact that he identifies with that description when he reads it, when I go and read it, it's really helpful for me to be like, okay, so that's how you're processing. That's Mm. how you're thinking when you say X, when you say Y, this is what you mean. And so an example of that, the other day I was out, Philip is in Enneagram 8 and he has ADHD. Okay. So he's in his office upstairs um, above our garage and I go out there and I was kind of feeling, sometimes I just feel like lonely during the day. So I go out there and find an excuse to talk to him. I'm just like, hey. So sweet. (laughs) What what do you want from the grocery store? I like eggs too. (laughs) (laughs) So I was kind of like lingering and he goes, "Um, are you going to be out here long? Because I have to get back to work. And I just looked at him and like my immediate reaction was like, excuse me but then I was I was I stopped and thought about it and I was like he is being really task oriented right now and he is afraid that if we get off into a conversation he's going to forget Hmm. what he was thinking about what he was doing what he was and so I kind of was like going through all that in my mind and it was so funny because again pregnant so like hormonal I started I didn't realize that I was like tearing up because he had hurt my feelings so over on his side he was like oh and when I said that to her she felt like I didn't want to be with her and she felt so like both of us were like trying to think for the other person it was just a really good communication Mm -hmm. moment for us because I was able to be like that was kind of hurtful the way that you said that but I understand Mm -hmm. why you said it that way and he was like thank you for understanding what I needed but also I should be way different when I'm communicating it to you so Mm -hmm. understanding each other and being for each other is that's really actually helpful. really huge mm-hmm. yeah, the more i started to understand how preston thought mm-hmm. and how he literally does not think like me mm-hmm. um it made me much more gracious yes. mm-hmm. and gracious even towards myself yeah <laughs> because it's like oh i i don't i don't communicate well all the time and i'm assuming that you should understand me mm-hmm. but no i just need to be clearer right yeah, yeah. <laughs> right and personality tests are huge i remember the first time mm-hmm. this was a different type of test but i read mike's um the grouping of his i was like hold on there's a whole group of people like you i thought you were the only one mm-hmm. and you were just wrong about some things and then just to realize oh it's just a personality type, and it's so different than mine, and that gave me understanding. Mm-hmm. I do think that's well, speaking sure. about marriage and communication. I have a question <laughs> that you know the naked lover over here would love. Yeah, nudity. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you talk about sex in marriage? It's the same tool set, like understanding, mm-hmm. finding the understandable mm-hmm. part of your spouse, and finding the understandable part of what they desire, how their desire works, how they're so I grew up hearing all the time that men were just like lust-filled monsters who like if you showed your (laughs) clavicle they were just going to be like oh my gosh I must have you so when I got married and my husband was like a regular person around me I was like um I'm not wow the most desirable person that you've ever seen I'm confused because my whole life they told me that if I unveiled this clavicle on you you were going to be putty in my hand and now the clavicle is out and like you ain't putty so what is this so learning that he wasn't just some some man right but Mm -hmm. like learning what he needed and what he wanted and what he desired and for him vice versa was really helpful Mm -hmm. Um, because I think so much Christian sex advice just assumes that women are one way 
and men are another way. Yes. And a lot of times in our relation, in our marriage, it's flipped. And that made me feel like something was wrong with me for a really long time Mm -hmm. until I realized that, no, actually, you're just two individuals and you were made for Philip and Philip was made for you. And this book is not understanding that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also probably important to understand your sex life as a form of communication. And that maybe if something is wrong there, something is wrong in your regular communication to me, or maybe a better way to say it is it's a temperature gauge of how well your communication is going. It says something. And so it's good to keep watch on what's happening there because it's communicating something about your marriage. Mm -hmm. And it's just good to be thinking about it. Like what is, is it really cold and distant? Mm -hmm. Well, that probably is because something else is going Mm -hmm. on, you know? So I think it's a good gauge to keep watch on. Yeah. Sex has been something that me and Preston have had to communicate about often. uh, Because I mean, sex is, it was introduced to me in a really traumatic way Mm -hmm. uh, because Mm -hmm. of sexual abuse. And I think even the pornography thing, you know, watching pornography from the age of seven to 19, uh, really did a doozy <laughs> on yeah. the way I understand sex and sexuality in the body. And so it's something that we always have to process through because I have these filters by which I see sex that affects us, mm. you know? And so I often have to explain it isn't me rejecting you, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's rejecting how I feel yep. during a particular act. And so I think mm-hmm. it's really been super helpful for him and for me and our marriage as a whole that we've had to really just work through so many sensitive and intimate things that have grown us intimately or that's it's grown our intimacy emotionally mm-hmm. which then affects us sexually yeah and so yeah yeah that's good actually that leads into another one of our questions i kind of feel like is why don't we talk about women and porn use more in the church you know that mm-hmm. because it's it's affecting not just men in the church, it's affecting women in the church, but we typically hear it kind of like what you said, Jasmine, as a male problem. Mm -hmm. And how do you think that is even affecting the shame attached to it and all of that for women? Yeah, I think it's just that whole separation of like blue sexuality versus pink sexuality. Like women are emotional and they just want to be held and they just want to, they're like pressure. They're, they're like crock pots and men are like (laughs) microwaves. And if you, if you want to have sex with your wife, you have to come home from work and you have to be, you know, doing stuff for her so that she is ready and willing and my newlywed self was like, whatever. Hi, (laughs) let's go. Let's do this. So I felt crazy. And I think that a lot of women who struggle with um, lust or pornography are often made to feel like they're an anomaly Mm -hmm. because all of the conversation about sex and temptation is really centered around men being the ones who struggle with temptation and women being the ones who have to like be the stopgap for the temptation and cover the dangerous clavicle (laughs) area. Hide your ankle. And I think we have to acknowledge that there are different mediums by which people engage in pornographic material. Mm -hmm. And so whereas men 
uh, are highly inclined to deal with visual porn. Women are, they statistically <laughs> are more inclined to romance novels huh. uh, that have por- pornographic material in it. And so I think that might be why, because we don't look at reading a really sexually explicit book as being mm-hmm. pornographic mm-hmm. because it's not people on a screen having sex. Or even where it is people on a screen having sex, like Outlander or Bridgerton or, but as long as there's a plot, Hmm. then it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember like when Bridgerton came out and I was watching it and I was like, wait, guys, (laughs) I was like, what are we doing right now? I didn't finish Outlander. Same reason. Um, And you know, those are choices that everybody has to make based on their level of maturity and based on their level. Cause some people just know how to pick up the button and fast forward. And some Mm -hmm. people are not affected by the same thing. So that's not like a judgment. But I do think that sometimes we get away with watching certain things and imbibing certain media because there's more to it than mm. just the sexual aspect. And so we're like, oh, yeah, I like Bridgerton because, you know, the costumes uh-huh. <laughs> are yeah. so good. Yeah, and those costumes keep coming off. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly yeah. just because it's a period drama exactly it makes you feel like it's a little more refined. yeah it makes you, exactly yeah. and it's yeah. because it's like takes a while to get to that you yes. know it takes like you're you're in like the fourth or fifth episode before you're like oh wow the bodice is ripped okay yes yes, yes. and that can actually be something that's a little more shocking like mm. when you're you know, if someone's going after strict porn, mm-hmm. they kind of do know what they're going after in some sense. So I do think, you know, our world is trying to give it to us. Is it, that much more deceptive? Then? Yes, mm-hmm. it's a, it's more deceptive. Mm-hmm. That's a, exactly right. And I think, I don't even think I've understood the difference it's made to have video, like online video access. Mm-hmm. Like when, So when I was growing up, the only option for kids seeing porn was an old Playboy magazine. Right. And, you know, and so it was so different, you know, you couldn't, you had to actually go buy it. I mean, so just my access to it was so much more limited than Mm -hmm. what kids have today where they can stumble across something and they're just curious, Mm -hmm. you know? And so they see something and they're like, what's that? Yep. You know, and so I do think it's a really tough thing. But I think with women in particular, I've heard that when it's addressed, particularly from the pulpit only to men, mm. it it actually makes them feel more ashamed. You know, that mm-hmm. it's not being discussed as a male and female mm-hmm. problem, that this is something that women are drawn to as well. Yeah. And so I think that is important, that it should always be men and women are fighting this. I will say this, though. I do think it has definitely affected how women are sometimes viewed in the church, because if our leaders are watching this, it's going to affect how you view women oh, in for your sure. life. Has to. And mm-hmm. so I think, and it, it's obviously... I. I I, I don't know how it's going to change how women view men in some ways, but I think it makes us more dangerous through no fault of our own mm-hmm. just because it's out there. Mm-hmm. And so it really is such a difficult struggle for both men and women, you know, in our world today. And I think it's changed a lot of things. I think it also changes our marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've heard from a lot of younger women who, who struggled when I was in women's ministry. One of my friends who shared with me some things, it affects marriage mm-hmm. because she didn't feel like she lived up to that standard. Correct. And that's a whole, you know, you're now competing in a bedroom with all these scenes. Yeah. And that's, that 
That's going to affect your marriage. Or it affects uh, women who are attracted to kind of uh, the perverted, dominant men that exist in things like Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Who are, yeah. who are you know, not passive. Yeah. Who are in control, who are doing those things. And so you kind of then are attracted to men who dominate you mm-hmm. in ways that are not godly. Mm-hmm. You know, where you, you kind of are attracted to those types. Of, I don't, let me stop repeating myself. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think it, it definitely, it's just, it does not renew our minds. No. Right. In the way that God delights it it, it really does renew our minds in a really dark way but we thank god for the spirit yeah he's able to recreate and i think we can say to anyone struggling find an older woman in your church and actually talk to them about it you know it it doesn't have to have shame if we have struggles in this area go find someone who can talk to you and pray for you Yeah. Uh, yeah i think we'd all say i think people are more understanding Hopefully, I say that you know. I mean, I mean it's hard. It's hard to speak up, it, right? Yeah. But this doesn't change unless we start doing that. Exactly. Um, and somebody's somebody's got to do it. Yeah, that's right. Speaking of homes, well, we just went like so deep, and uh, now yeah. we're gonna come come back up to the show <laughs> back and to talk about ones. some DIY. <laughs> so, ladies, <laughs> DIY, yes or no? Uh, sometimes. Oh, you're a fool. Yes. I can't even believe you said something. No, because that that was the season I was in. Okay. (sighs) And so I decided to stain my steps and paint my wall and, you know, sand and paint my baby's crib because we were in an entire pandemic. But that's enough for you to say yes forever. Like that's forever. That's enough activity to say yes forever. What do you mean? Like if I had done all three of those things, it wouldn't matter if I never did another DIY (laughs) thing in my life. I'd be like, I I am a DIY goddess. I will say that. That like I think working and renovating and beautifying my home is just an extension of my like creative mm-hmm. side, and so yes, insofar as it helps me to like express myself creatively and make something beautiful, sure. But like the cats that will like install trim and you know like tearing down walls and installing windows by themselves, I'm not that. I'm gonna pay somebody. Yeah, I'm gonna find you on Yelp. I'm going to give you this da- this down payment for you to go to work. I'll paint. I'm I'm not tearing down nothing. I'm sorry. I'm not even going to paint. Yeah. My mother-in-law um is at home right now and she was like, "Hey, while you're out of town, I might go come over to your house and paint the boys' room for you." It's kind of fun. And uh, is that okay? And I was like <laughs> And I secretly it. just yes. kind of lo- I love the smell of paint. Secretly. Well, she got the she got the no smell vanilla paint. Oh, it's no fun. She did. She's like, I'm just worried about you because you. I like the clean smell. It feels like the house it is feels clean. like fresh. It I, feels yeah. new. I kind of like when things smell toxic. Uh, yeah, gas. Another wow. markers. Today <laughs> in true confessions of Let's <laughs> Talk hosts, like the nail salon, She's the stuff they put the on you over there, acetone, <laughs> all the things. No, no. Got it. <laughs> Feeling shame. Let's go back to episode two. Don't feel mm-hmm. shame. It's okay. okay. I know. I have. I don't have any DIY. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I wish I did. We feel shame about that. I know. So, I totally wish I did. You're just you over are, there. Proverbs are all in it. creating something. Yes. That's all DIY is. I, is creating. I, I do garden. I create a garden. Okay. There and you I go. I love creating a garden. I love. You just leave me like that. Yeah. Sorry. That is wow. DIY. Oh, yeah. she yeah. really just left I do me. Love a garden. You're 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 creating a kid. I'm doing that. <laughs> you didn't do it yourself. I didn't. But you, 
I'm doing it myself right now. You are. You, <laughs> and, you and the Lord's hand. I know. Here's another one, especially because we have TGCW 22 that we'll all be at coming up this summer. Um, what women's events have impacted you, if any, have impacted you? Um, Glory, Jackie's event. Oh, did you go? No, I haven't been to a single <laughs> event. Okay. But it's impacting you? Yeah. Okay, tell me about that. Well, because Jackie <laughs> is so fly. Like, I don't know what, I don't even know what you'd be talking about. Would you just be on stage, her little, her wing be flipped mm -hmm. and the outfits? <laughs> Should that yellow, the yellow suit. A yellow suit. You guys are really worldly. We are. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing you, spiritual. You be looking real good. And I just be like, yeah, I know her. Yeah, that's uh, my friend. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll be the, the holy one in the group. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I did go to one uh, women's event maybe five years ago. And I think what made it really unique is that um, they we, they were walking through themes related to, I think, atonement hmm. or something. And one thing I really appreciated is that after every session, they, the worship songs were centered on the text or the theme that was immediate, like that was touched on during the sermon. Mm -hmm. And it, so it wasn't vague. It wasn't broad. It wasn't like, you know, she talked about atonement and then we start singing about, you know, I don't know, sanctification. Mm -hmm. Right. You understand? And, and it just was like, Oh, I, this really makes the worship connect mm -hmm. to the session. And I don't know, that seems so small, but I guess to me, I was just like, I really like how thoughtful and intentional they were in making sure that what they taught and what they sung were the same. Did mm. she have on a yellow suit though? No, because it was about Jesus. Not the yellow suit, but the yellow suit. She it helps. Sh she should have wore red. Blood on the doorpost. <laughs> I have to say, and I'm not saying this because I now work for TGC. I went to the first women's conference at TGC. I think it was in 2012. And it was the first time I'd been to a women's conference that we weren't talking about womanhood. Hmm. And for me, that was just so refreshing because I, I, I was there with a girlfriend and I remember looking at her and I was like, we're just talking about the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's so nice because it's not that I, I'm fine talking about womanhood, mm -hmm. but when that was just the topic year after year after year at every women's event, mm -hmm. I just kept thinking, you know, I could really, I could really hear a talk on kindness yeah. and on joy and on patience. I remember at that conference hearing John Piper um, talking about Isaiah six and it was all on the glory of the Lord and you know, he, he made this wonderful contradiction. King Uzziah is dead and the Lord is seated on his throne. But then he talked about the robe filling. Him. It was just this great moment. And I was like, this is, you know, I'm getting this image of God's greatness. Mm -hmm. And I actually need that to be whomever I'm called to be. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it was just this, you know, it was just one of those changing moments of I love having a conference for women that's about God. Yeah. And I just, I love getting to be there and getting to study. So I still return to like two TGC sessions over and over again. One oh. of them is Mike's. Um, mm -hmm. He talked about women in the church and I ended up reading his book, Women in the Church afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget because 
it's so funny because he's not stoic, but like that's how he comes across. And so I walked up to him one time and I was like, I loved your book about women in the church. And he was like, oh, great. You're one of three people that read that. Like, <laughs> he's like, you understood it? You liked it? Like, yeah. wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So Mary Wilson at the time, now Mary Hannah, has a session oh. um, that's basically about is God chauvinistic? Is God yes. misogynistic? And I... That is a great session. When I was going through the Old Testament again, I returned to that. Um, passage. I did it for myself. I did it when I was teaching high school and we were doing ancient history. Yeah. I did it like I just returned to that one over and over and over again. I'm not much of a conference person. Yeah. When I go to a conference, I'm usually a participant. Yes. But that particular session. Yeah. Literally life changing. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That was a great. That was a great. Maybe we could put it in the show notes for for this episode because that one was. A great one. You may not be into women's events, but are you into sports at all? No. <laughs> what about you, Melissa? Absolutely. I love sports. I was such a tomboy growing up. I can remember in fourth and fifth grade, all the other girls were over on the playground on the swings, and I was on the soccer field. I was the only girl on the soccer field, and I was like, why would I be anywhere else? I love sports. So I played soccer. In high school, played tennis in high school. I love I love playing ultimate frisbee. That's yeah. sweet. I, you're sweet. You're so sporty. You're so <laughs> cool. I love playing I, all that I stuff. wanted to be in sports because I just wanted to do something good that other people couldn't do. Hmm. Uh, but when I was in seventh grade, I signed up to run track. And then the teacher, he was a math teacher. Look at that. Mm. He was the math teacher and the track coach. And he said that, like, we're going to start working on running a five-minute mile. And I said, <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I'm going to go home. And so I, it just, it never clicked yep. for me. But I do watch it. I watch basketball and stuff because Preston does. And so I do yeah. get into, like, playoffs. I'm not going to keep up with it. Yeah. But right. I know what's happening. We watched that Michael Jordan movie together, me and Philip, and it was so funny because he was so patient with me because I was just like trying to put everything into context. Really? Like, who's Michael Jordan? Like, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, Michael Jordan. He's like, yeah, you know who he plays for? I was like, yeah, the Bulls. He's like, well, what else do you know? I was like, Space Jam. Oh, Space Jam. He came, I love he a good sports documentary. My, that documentary was very Sports good. documentaries are so inspiring. And he yeah. like paused it so many times. It was like explaining like he was like that play was amazing and then he was like do you want to understand why i was amazing he pauses and he's like okay so here's what happened and i was like you're so sweet to me because i don't understand (laughs) playing the sport or at least trying does help you enjoy it more i remember i think it was on our honeymoon our honeymoon had like a little par three golf course and so i'd never played golf before and so mike taught me and it was after that that i grew to actually love watching golf i never had before and then i was like it's actually hard to hit that little ball oh yeah and it makes you appreciate what Mm -hmm. tiger woods is doing when Mm -hmm. he goes out and does what he does like oh that's hard you know anyway so playing something can make you appreciate you actually know that's not easy to get that basketball Mm -hmm. up like that and you know Mm -hmm. childbirth is my only extreme That's all I got. You are, you are That's the all athlete. I That's of, all I have. You are, you are, you're winning. You're winning on <laughs> so that. For one. those moments in my life, I'm an athlete. Okay, here's another. This is an interesting question. What's the remedy for compassion fatigue? So first, what is compassion fatigue? And then what's the remedy for it? I struggle with compassion. So y- y'all will most likely have to teach me. <laughs> is compassion fatigue like 
where you're just giving so much of yourself, so much empathy and so much like Mm -hmm. feeling that you just get exhausted. You're like tired out from it. Is that what it is? Yeah. I think it's, uh, this is, this was my interpretation of the question. You know, now we can see into so many more homes and so many more windows with social media. Like, so Mm -hmm. I actually know in real time that today, you know, what's happening around the world. Mm -hmm. Like we might know how COVID is raging in a foreign country Mm -hmm. now in a way that we wouldn't have known even, even 20, 30 years ago. And so there's so much going on. And then you've got a friend's friend's friend who has cancer. Right. And you've then got somebody else's child who was in this accident. And, you know, you're mm-hmm. just going down your school. Please pray for this. Please pray for this. And these are people that you sort of know. Mm-hmm. Right. But they're not, you know, they're not really close in your life. And so how do we deal with all that's coming at us? Mm-hmm. I think we have to make sure that we're actually being faithful and compassionate with the people that are in our lives so that it's not performative. Yeah. Because it can so easily become performative on social media where it's just like, I'm going to retweet this or I'm going to repost this or I'm going to, so people know that, that, that I know, because if they know that I know, then yeah, that somehow will do, you know, so I think being, being careful that the compassion is being meted out in your day to day life. Mm hmm. You know, I think when it comes to the compassion fatigue, one remedy in some sense is just to accept our limitation. You know, we can mm-hmm. only take in so much. We can only do so much because, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm five days behind mm-hmm. on whatever happened. And then you feel like, oh, I totally missed it, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. I, th- I think to say, am I in the moment doing the good I can in the world I'm in, Hmm. you know, when I see it, whether it's like at the grocery store and you see a lady who's in a wheelchair or having a hard time getting up and you just stop to help her. You know, I think that's sometimes what we miss kind of like what you were saying, Jasmine. And to in my real world, am I doing what I can to love my neighbor and, and be aware of what's going on, you know, around me, right. But also rest in the fact that a better country's coming and know that, we can do good things here, mm-hmm. but we're having to wait for a better, a better final land. But that's, you know, it's a, it's a tension. It's a tension. Cause and I we don't want to say we it. can't do anything. Right. Cause we can. Right. And you we know, should, we do. And, exactly. But we live in that tension of the already and the not yet. The exactly. like we can make changes and we can bless people and we can spread awareness and we can pray, but also there's only so much we can do. That's right. Cause we're finite. Yep. And because this world is broken until Jesus comes back. Yep. Yep. That's right. And I think we can be like the prodigal father who was looking out for his prodigal son. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, it wasn't like he was in the house. He was looking when he was coming at mm-hmm. the thing. So we can be on the lookout for who needs you know, help today without thinking I need to go do that on social media. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That feels like kind of a way we, I think, like to pat ourselves on the back and say, I shared something or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Versus even if it's just personally, quietly praying. Mm-hmm. Okay, I pray about this situation in this country right now and just doing it really quickly. Yeah. I think that's even, even in your own life, because sometimes compassion fatigue can come from being compassionate to people. Like people in helping professions can get yes. compassionate fatigue. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but that again, you know, going back to our boundaries episode, it's really important to prioritize yeah. what, it, what is God asking us to prioritize yeah. and what do we have to just say, you know what, I can't today. That's right. I'm just going to pray for that and trust God to take care of that. For today and then tomorrow maybe i'll have renewed energy to face yes whatever that's right ditto 
<laughs> so this is a good question for both of you. What are some practical ways to get time away from the kids? Come do a podcast. <laughs> take, take long, long, long showers. <laughs> if your water bill can handle it. No, seriously. My, my, my getaway more times than not is that to, mm -hmm. to really just take a breather. Uh, but I've, I've found times where I, I just have to be, and I know this isn't a, a circumstance for all mothers because there are some mothers that are single mothers, um, uh, where this kind of question is more complicated to answer. Uh, but for me, I've often had to tell Preston, Hey, just need an hour mm -hmm. like can you just mm -hmm. just kind of be here where I can just and I, I I one time I went upstairs and I laid in my closet with just worship music because I was like I was so full of mm -hmm. thoughts and ideas and stresses and duties and all the things and I was like I'm I'm gonna yell at somebody if I don't decompress mm -hmm. in this moment yeah. so just telling someone yep. I need a break yep I think that's okay to do yeah yeah, every night when Philip comes in from work, he knows it's his turn. Yep. So, um, and I was definitely raised on the principle of like, daddy's been at work all day. So when he comes in, you have to like set the stage for him to rest. And, you know, not in my household because my dad never had a typical nine to five. Mm -hmm. But like, that's what all of the ladies at our church, you know, that's what, yes. that, that was a thing. Um, and it's totally different. Like Philip comes in from work and he told me one time, he's like, but you've been working all day too. Mm -hmm. So we're just mm -hmm. going to work together till bedtime. Yep. yep. Um, so he, he will give me like, I'll, I'll make dinner. He'll take over with the boys while I'm making dinner and then I'll feed them. And then after dinner is dad time. We're yeah. going to hang out with dad, watch a show, do whatever. But mom is usually in the bathtub. Yep. Usually. Yep. I do. I did for years, always lock the bathroom door. <laughs> And I would just kind of be in there for a while. And it was just... Because kids will bust in, even if the door's not... Oh, they totally will. Oh, all the time. Yes. yes. They'll just, like... They just think they can talk to you at any time. Yeah. Even when you're going to the bathroom. Yeah. We don't come in while I'm, like, literally on the toilet yes. and be like, how's it going? Yeah. Okay? And you're like, I'm <laughs> He's like, trying to get away from everyone right now. Yeah. <laughs> I will say one thing I am a big believer in, and I established this with all my kids at a really young age, is room time. Oh, yeah. It's I think huge. kids need to learn that they can be alone and be okay with that. And so when my kids, they would take the nap. And then when they transitioned, what I did, I made it act like a big reward. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, well, guess what? If you want to stay up in your bed, you can and you don't have to go to sleep. And I'm going to put some books here, but you got to stay in your room for this long or, you know, whatever. I really mm -hmm. was a big believer. And then it changed to their whole room. Mm -hmm. And so my kids all did that for years and so I'd have like an hour and a half every afternoon that I could have just some quiet it wasn't perfect mm -hmm. I mean when I say stuff like that you know kids come out yeah. there's always I mean you know whatever who has learned how to unlock the baby gate yes like a new era yes but it was just the <laughs> pattern and I I have seen it as my kids have aged mm -hmm. the benefit is all my kids can entertain themselves like Without electronic devices, yeah, I mean, they all have interests. They they all like to read. I mean, they're all comfortable being alone. And I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. And it was really important for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was just, that was a way I could get a little time by myself every day. Yeah. And that was, that was I am team room time all day. Yes. And we'll say it. Hey, girls, room time. Yep. And they just know. Go ahead and march yep. down that hall. Play with your toys. Yep. Do, I, don't, I don't care. You can make a fort. That's right. Do whatever you want. Just do it away from me. Yep. In Jesus' name. <laughs>
I think one question that we received, which is um, one worth discussing, is in light of this pandemic, uh, in in light of just living in the world in general, loneliness is a thing, mm. you know. And I think uh, we all even go through seasons: uh, married, unmarried, with children, without having a job, having not a job, having a nightlife, not having like where you just have these seasons of loneliness. Mm -hmm. how, how do we? deal with that how do we cope how do we help friends that mm -hmm. are in lonely places i think it's important to understand that everybody gets lonely um because sometimes i find i'll be talking to um people like i'll put up a question box on instagram and somebody will ask a question and be like well it's really easy for you to talk about X because you're married and I'm single and I'm lonely and I wish that I had your problems instead of my problems hmm. because at least you're not lonely. And there's just such a misconception that wifehood and motherhood means an end to loneliness. Hmm. But sometimes it can be, it's been for me because I got married at 24, most of my seasons of loneliness and seasons of intense hmm. isolation have been as a mother and have been as a wife. Um, and so I think like extending the conversation doesn't erase the unique struggle of single Christians. Rather, it kind of unites us in this mm -hmm. common thing that we all struggle with at different points in time. Um, and there's something so uniquely depressing about married loneliness. We're <laughs> like, unique. they're right there. Mm -hmm. Like I shouldn't feel so alone, but like, Bridging that gap for whatever reason during the season is really difficult. Or motherhood, loneliness in motherhood, where I just remember when Philip and I moved back to um, Mississippi when Wynn was six weeks old. And we lived in Pickens, Mississippi, on a dead-end street that backed up to the woods. And the woods backed up to the highway. Our house had a tin roof, so we had no reception. We had one car. Philip drove it 45 minutes into Jackson every day to go to work. And I lived on the same street as my in-laws. There's no place to go out to eat. There's no stoplights. Mm. There's nothing to do. There's a dollar store. Mm. Um, and I had postpartum depression and I didn't realize it. And so Philip would come home from work every day and he'd say, what did you do? And I'd say, I don't remember. Mm. Like I could have maybe just sat here and stared at that one spot in the wall over there mm. all day, but I don't know. Mm. I don't know what I did because I was, just, I was alone and I was lonely and it was so crippling and so difficult and so my heart goes out to anybody who during the pandemic has experienced mm -hmm. that level of ice if the pandemic would have happened that year that would have been perfect oh. <laughs> like, i'm already here wow we're here we're like in the wilderness we don't know anybody this is yeah. great or not great but for anybody who who's experienced that during the pandemic i my heart does go out to you and i i relate to that lo that feeling of just like loneliness and depressiveness and I think what I ended up doing with it was, first of all, somebody had to tell me like, hey, this is depression and it's not mm -hmm. okay that you feel that way and there are things that we should do about it. Um, and so something that I did is I, I got a job. Hmm. Um, I started teaching again. I had taken like nine months off of teaching. I started teaching again. It was just twice a week and it was a way for me to get out of the house. I started writing again. Mm. That's when I started blogging again. That's when I started um, writing some stuff for TGC. Mm -hmm. And then I was, and then I spoke at a couple conferences. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, I started kind of coming out of myself and being more purposeful about being involved in ministry and in people's lives. So the answer to loneliness wasn't actually my husband or my kids. It was the body of Christ. Mm. Mm. Um, and so often 
I think that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult sometimes though, because I don't know how y'all feel. I mean, we're all introverts. Um, and sometimes the hardest thing for me is, because I've gone through some of the probably deepest loneliness in my life in the past two years because of a church situation that mm -hmm. we went through. But the weird thing was what I almost didn't need was more people. You, like sometimes you think the antidote to loneliness is people in your life. Mm -hmm. But it, it was so hard for me because social things became hard because mm -hmm. of what was going on. And I do think there are certain places of loneliness that um, I felt the tenderness of the Lord saying, I know, and I'm with you. And I like, there's a, there's a verse that says no one else can um, know our sorrows and no one else can share our joys mm -hmm. or something like there is, I think there are certain pains and maybe it's the loneliness of singleness or the loneliness of church hurt or the loneliness of a miscarriage or the, you know, certain things that we're going through, um, I do think there's this place that only the Lord can meet, mm -hmm. um, and maybe by design yeah. so that we run to him yeah. because yeah, it's, it's difficult. It, it really is difficult. And, um, and that not to say, I still think, I still remember what Jackie, I think you tweeted it a long time ago, what healed my church hurt the church. Yeah. You know, so I think there's this both and mm -hmm. it's, there are going to be certain things only the Lord can hit, but we desperately need the body of Christ to help us yeah. in our loneliness. And it's so hard because sometimes that's where the wound happened. Yeah. You know, and so it's just this strange place. It takes faith to keep plugging in and keep going in and keep, keep entering in. Mm -hmm. But and I, I think we can all say it's worth it. And I'm glad that y'all both kind of highlighted that loneliness doesn't necessarily mean lack of community. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but really it's even the people I'm around don't see me. And, and so I think that's where the leaning into the Lord thing mm -hmm. happens was because it's like, you do see mm. you, you do hear you, you are knowledgeable about my situation. And oftentimes the way that you remedy it is through other people reminding me that mm. you see me. Mm. <laughs> you, you, you ever that's had that good. person where you lonely yeah. and they text you and say, Hey, you were on my heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, oh man, like that's a reminder that the Lord is placing me on the heart of yes. other people because yep. he sees my circumstance. And now he's opening up a door where I can be seen by another human being by saying why I was most likely on your heart, you know? Right. So, yeah, I think that is um, just one of those good things to remember is that sometimes when I'm feeling lonely, I realize other people are lonely too. And so I think one thing we can do is exactly what you say. Sometimes I've just asked, Lord, will you bring to mind people I need to pray for? And then by reaching out to them and just texting and saying, hey, I was praying for you today. Sometimes you can feel connected because mm -hmm. I don't know how y'all feel. Like sometimes I feel way too busy to have another social engagement. Like yes. that's, I want a deeper connection with people. Yeah. Anyway, so I think there are ways that we can reach out to others that don't require a lot of time, mm -hmm. but can make us feel connected. That's good. I don't know. Um, okay. Last, last of the questions. Kind of, a, this is a, this is a sad way maybe to end the season. Maybe it's a good way to end the season. What song would you want sung at your funeral? I love funerals. <laughs> it, it, one, I'm a bit morbid. I like watching serial killer documentaries and I've Googled like uh, the autopsies of famous people and it's, it's, it's just me. But uh, as far as funerals, I, two, two songs are, 
are um what's the word like it's not a like like i'm a i'm a resurrect and come for my kids Mm -hmm. if they don't make sure this is on the list Uh, (laughs) um great is thy faithfulness And it needs to be sang by somebody that's churchy. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want no. No, no acoustic guitar. Great is thy faithfulness. I don't want that. I, I need somebody churchy. I need an organ. I need somebody screaming and yelling. Time. Yeah, I, 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 they need to be screaming and yelling. Yes, I need at least <laughs> at least sixteen tongues mm-hmm. to follow. Uh, and then the other one is Total Praise uh, by oh. Richard Smallwood because Total Praise is Total Praise. If you've never mm-hmm. heard Total Praise, go to YouTube, type it in, and then you're going to understand Get why saved. I need that. Mm. That's it. Mm. Um, my two are I Won't Complain. Mm. I love I Won't Complain. If by chance I could become friends with Cynthia Revo before I die, oh, you want her to sing it. and then she outlived me, that would be my, <laughs> my actual dream. <laughs> My actual. That would be a very pretty rendition. Uh, she, there's a, um, the, after the color purple ended, they sang it to, well, it didn't end. I think Heather Headley was leaving her, uh, I'm a Broadway person, but she was leaving her role and Cynthia Erivo sang the first verse of I Won't Complain, which mm-hmm. I already love so mm-hmm. much. And then she sang it and I was like, oh my God. She sings like an angel. She sounds like an angel. It was beautiful. So then on the opposite side of that, like I won't, I want an <laughs> angelic, like I won't complain. And then I want like a squalling, like throw your shoes in the air. <laughs> I'm going up yonder. Going up a yonder. And I want the bass. But do you want it while like they're marching your body down yes. the aisle? Because that's when I've seen it. It's like, it's that's what they what do I on need. the way out. I need it to be like, and now she's like, I need, I won't complain. And I need people to be like, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful and angelic. We love her. And then when I'm walking out and they're saying I'm going up yonder, they're like, it ain't even you're about being, her. It's about Jesus. Out, like, sis. let's go. You're being walked out. I'm you, just, you being carried. March me. <laughs> March me out of there to going up yonder. I think they played that uh, during uh, in Tony Evans' wife's funeral, Lois Evans, mm. when she was being, uh, when her body was being moved out of the as sanctuary. As soon as, like, at the beginning of that song, as soon as the singer's like, if anybody asks me, I'm like, wait, what? If anybody what are you about to do? I'm ready. Where I am going. Y'all have thought about your funerals way more than I have. No, I have a whole plan I, in my brain. I, I realized when I saw this question, I was like, I have not. Ne- I'm so excited because I won't be here to plan it. Oh, I'm mad about that, actually. I'm really bitter. I I know. And I'm like, gosh. So I read this. The first thing that popped into mind was Great Is That Faithfulness. Mm -hmm. That was the first one for me. But then I actually, I really love, and I know it's like classic funeral hymn, but I really love Be Still My Soul. I just Mm -hmm. love it. I Mm -hmm. I just love the words. I love it. And I kind of like that it's sad and somber Mm because I think it's okay to be sad. Mm -hmm. But it's hopeful, too. But That's it's, good. it's it you know, but I had not really thought of this. So I'm glad it will be recorded now. So Mike uh, yeah, know. come back to season three, episode nine. When yeah, we, exactly. When we move on to Yeah. To close up season three, if you are at a dinner party and you only know one person or you only know the host or something like that, how do you strike up a conversation with someone who's around you? I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Basically, we only would talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. I really sincerely, I um, live in Jackson, Mississippi, and it's very old South. And so I went to a dinner party, my first dinner party in Jackson, and the hostess 
sat us next to people who we didn't know on purpose. Like we didn't sit next to our spouses. So scary. And I was just like, what am I supposed? And it was like a bunch of nerdy white people. Like it was like, it was like, well, in the words of, in the words of Shakespeare, like it was like, it was. Yeah. Mint julep. Yes. It was, we had a palate cleanser y'all. Okay. That was some sorbet. It was, I mean, it was delicious food. The conversation was very intellectual and very like. You know, they where you like do a joke in Latin and you're like, oh, they're like, oh, herb. Like it was, <laughs> it was very, and I don't think I struck up a conversation with anybody. I think I just sat there and was like, yeah, I, okay. I, yeah, I, I took Latin in sixth a, grade. I'm not a conversation striker, mm-hmm. but I feel like I always end up next to people that are. Mm-hmm. And so that oh. might be a part of my expectation is that I just, I don't have to initiate it because there's some extrovert roaming around here that cannot wait Mm -hmm. to speak to the quiet person. It's like they're attracted to the quiet person. Like, oh, you're not talking, so I need to talk to you. Let me help you. Yes, I just kind of, you know, Yeah. I follow their lead. Yeah, I have kind of a running list of questions in my brain because here's what I find. People generally like talking about themselves. Yes. So if I just ask a couple of questions, then... I just, um, they're going to talk. <laughs> so that's what I do. And that's so true. it might be if we're at like a wedding, I might say, how do you know the couple? Right. Yeah. Or if, um, I just meet someone, I'll say, so where did you grow up? I try to ask safe questions mm. because there are certain questions you realize that can get really like, complicated. Who did you vote for in 2020? Oh, yeah, I'm not going to ask that question. <laughs> but even asking, what do you do? Well, then they're like, oh, well, I'm actually in between jobs. You know, and then you're like, oh, mm. I, maybe, you know, I don't know. Or mm-hmm. I mean, I've asked a woman I just met before, so how many kids do you have? And then she's like, well, three here and one in heaven. You know, and you're just like, oh, I'm so, then, you know, you didn't even mean. So I try yeah. to ask what I consider. Most people grow up somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are what are pretty safe questions? I know a question you can ask. Oh. What song would you want to be played at your funeral? Oh, that would stress me out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a really great one. These are the things I've realized I have not thought about. Then you about. can Jesus juke if they're not Christians and say, well, you know, we're all going to die, right? We're all going to die someday. So do you know where and your so soul is going? This is why y'all don't talk to people. <laughs> are you? Do you know where is you're your going? Is your funeral going to be an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with the soon-to-be-dying as well? Or do is you it hold going their wrist to be... and say, pray with me. Say this prayer along with me. Yeah, y'all should just remain quiet. Jesus, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I acknowledge come, it. Come into my heart. <laughs> We're thankful that Crossway has been sponsoring this season of Let's Talk. And specifically today, we're going to be chatting a little bit about the book from Paul David Tripp, Do You Believe? 12 Historic Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life. Jasmine, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I'm going to read this quote because I want to get it exactly right. He says, true belief is always lived. So in the book, Mm -hmm. he kind of talks about these 12 core doctrines, what they are why they're important and how they impact our everyday lives. And so it seems like a good kind of primer book. Maybe it'll be a good book to read during devotions. Yeah. Um, A good book for a small group, home group. Yeah. Good. And we don't have to be afraid of the word doctrine. No, no. And trip is, makes things so simple. Yeah. Which is so good. Because doctrine is really just what we believe about God. Mm -hmm. So it's not scary, but sometimes I think we hear that word and we're like, I'm going to read one page and want yeah. to stop. And, but he does a really good job yeah. of connecting it to everyday life too, that's which good. is really good. Yeah, that's good. Jackie, where can we find it? Well, sadly, I don't have this one in my trunk. Uh, but Amazon, <laughs> you know, the other bookstores, it is available. Or you can go to crossway.org forward slash plus to find out how to get 30% off. Because like I said before, 
The Saints love a good deal. Well, thank you for joining us for this season of Let's Talk. If you find yourself needing something to listen to in our absence, check out the other shows from the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network at tgc.org forward slash podcast. Thanks, y'all.